This is the Horse Radio Network. Ellie's been dying to talk about horse vacuums, so here we are. She'll answer all your questions. This week, we're talking to a guest who's taking an unconventional route in the dressage arena, and we address some training woes and jumping. Thanks for tuning in. From Heels Down Mag, a podcast where horse pros chat about what's happening in the horse world over drinks. Welcome, Welcome to Happy, Happy Hour. Hour. I'm Justine Griffin. I'm Jessica Payne. And I'm Ellie Wasnicka. Welcome to episode 94 of Heels Down Happy Hour. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. Happy New Year to all of you. Happy New Year. Woo-woo. So we started off the new year down in Justine's part of the world where it's warm. And now we've moved up to like Ellie's part of the world where it's cold. Just FYI, everybody. We literally (laughs) saw the beach and we're in swimsuits and the kids were in ski clothes at the farm this week. Oh, my gosh. Wow. You're not kidding. Oh, literally. Like went from beach Wellington to the farm in North Carolina, which had seen a couple inches of snow. Couple inches. I've got like 16 right now. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I said part of your world. Like, I didn't mean all the way up, man. I don't think you that. Well, I think even a shock that I was even in your, like, vicinity. <laughs> well, so even, I think it's funny, even if you drive, like, down my mountain, like, at the, I don't know, the normal people level, they don't even have as much snow as we have on the mountain. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Uh, so that's fun. But I'm loving it because with all the mud, the ground's finally even. So the horses have been running around like Looney Tunes and loving life. But just exactly. how is Wellington? Because I feel like I'm seeing more and more eventers come down, like going past Ocala, you know, down to South Florida. So for us, it was uh, one of the times that we're like, okay, let's go for two weeks. And honestly, we've got there wasn't enough really going on in Ocala for us to jump the big guys, like uh, the jumpers. And Uh honestly, like our big event horses stayed home because it's first of January. So they really didn't need to go jump in Wellington. So they stayed home just doing like light conditioning work. And then until obviously it snowed yesterday. So, but then they've been able to stay and work here and do everything. And then we decided to take just a small group of the jumpers down So for us, it was like, okay, well, if we're going to go funny enough, like we're pretty close to 95. So it's only like two more hours further South than Ocala. And we never thought about that. So Doug's like, maybe we start making more of a situation where we go to Wellington more than we do the other. So I don't know, it should be interesting, but it was super fun. And obviously surrounded by amazing riders is always great. So for us, it was actually more the jumpers that brought us down there. So it was gotcha. kind of different. Well, cause I know when we talked to Jimmy in a previous episode at the end of last year, she was coming down to work on some dressage work. Which She's doing the dressage. Yep. Yeah. I just think it's, it's cool to see more people kind of spreading out, you know, and not well, just and they're kind of figuring, Yeah. And they're figuring out what works for you. And it's not just the same kind of pattern of, Mm -hmm. This has to be it. So it's nice that everybody's kind of finding their path and figuring it out for sure. Yep, definitely. This episode is brought to you by Green Flower Botanicals. All right, guys. So I thought we would do something a little different for us for a drink this week. It's the start of the new year. It's January. I'll be honest, I'm not participating in this, but are either of you participating in dry January? 
No. I guess I have been because I haven't really drank anything yet, but that doesn't mean I won't be. <laughs> okay. So you don't count, Ellie. <laughs> yeah. So um, I guess that doesn't really give you an she's answer. Like half, she's like half in it. Got it. All right. Well, so for those of you who are our listeners who don't drink, this is a mocktail for you. It's called the NA for non-alcoholic getaway cocktail. And basically what you're going to do is you make a salt tincture. So you're going to, in a small bowl, you're going to whisk some warm water with some salt until the salt dissolves. Then you transfer it to a bottle with a dropper and refrigerate it for a little while. And you set that aside while you make the drink. Um, They suggest chilling a cocktail glass for this. You're going to fill a cocktail sugar with ice, add some chinoto syrup, lemon, maple syrup, or egg white, then some vinegar and the salt tincture, and you shake it hard to chill and strain the ice, reshake it in uh, the drink until it gets a little foamy at the top and strain it into your chilled glass and serve. It's pretty interesting. So that vinegar is an apple cider vinegar. And then with the maple syrup and the lemon juice, this sounds pretty good to me. Yeah. So uh, we'll link the recipe so you guys can check it out. But just a little bit of a different spin sounds on like a drink. Sounds like yeah, 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 like a fun drink. Yeah, sounds like a fun drink. All right, Jess, what do you got for news? So back on like kind of, I wouldn't say the saga of eventing, whatever, with USCF, but sort of. So now... We at least have some news from the USEF. So obviously, or not obviously, um, if the listeners don't know that Eric Devander and Peter Wilde and Jenny Autry's contracts either did not get renewed or were um, not reinstated or whatever you want to call it. There were all kinds of different situations for each one of their different terms. But basically, all three of them are no longer um, with the USEF eventing high-performance team. And so with that being said, Everyone's kind of being like, well, you know, we've lost a manager, a coach, and the show jump coach. Like, where do we kind of go from there? Are we getting a coach? And the USCF doesn't really know. They're kind of restructuring everything, which I'm not saying is a bad thing. Like, I think some things definitely needed to change and they needed a bit more kind of structure in that sense. So they've actually gone about naming an elite program task force basically to find a coach and to find that leadership. So they have named. Will Coleman, Max Cochran, Derek DeGrazia, Ariel Gerald, Liz Halliday-Sharp, Mark Hart, Leslie Law, Eric Markle, Lynn Szymanski, and Chris Turner all to become part of this task force to kind of find the future for eventing. So it's not just one person that names his coach or whatever else or this committee. So they're trying this task force to find everybody, which I think is important because it's a mix of basically people that have been with the USCF before they've got high performance riders in there. It's kind of a mix of everybody and it can kind of ask everybody what's, what's good. And so for now we're kind of flying by ourselves, which is totally fine. And so now they've got, they've made some kind of call to say that there is this eventing task force to name this, which I think will actually be really good in the end. Interesting. I'm, I'm glad to see that they're taking like this, you know, wide casting a wide net approach, you know, like they're getting a lot of people involved. Yeah. And so that they can make this decision and not make it lightly, because I think there's been, you know, kind of a lot of different coaches and a lot of this and every one of them have been really good in their own way, but they're trying to find something that kind of is good for everybody. And, um, I think that's really important. And so I think they need somebody that's kind of a strong manager to come on and 
lead a lot of, you know, when you're dealing with high performance riders, a lot of them are kind of like stuck in their ways in that sense of like, oh, I want to do this. And they're like, sure. And like, maybe you need to say, maybe you can't do that. You know what I mean? Somebody that's going to take charge and everything. And I think that's kind of what they lacked in the last manager is they needed somebody to give direction and know what she was doing and know what to say. And I think that that was kind of the hardest thing that they didn't have that. So they're going about it. You know, we pled for Eric and Peter to stay because we loved them and we thought they were excellent coaches. And I think that because the whole program had to kind of get restarted, they maybe weren't part of it, which was unfortunate for us, but I can't say that the USCF didn't have their reasons. You know, we don't know what their reasons were, so it is it, but at least this way they're going forward with the task force to kind of hopefully kind of meet everybody's goals and needs. Do they have a timeline? Like, are they trying to do something soon or is it just going to, however long it takes? I, I think you, it'd be hard to put a timeline on it because if you put a timeline, you might rush into a decision that maybe isn't the right decision. So in my opinion, I think it's very thankful that they have not put a timeline at all. They're saying like, you know, they're quickly on it. They did say the task force is having meetings right away. So this is put into effect and happening right now. So that's important. Like they're going on it, but they have not made a timeline for when they're going to make decisions on things. And I think that's kind of respectfully a good thing. Yeah, that's really smart. Yeah. So they can come to the right decision need be, whether it takes a day or months or whatever it is that they can make that decision, not lightly. So once again, change is happening in eventing, but you know, sometimes, you know, it needs to happen or it's happening for whatever reason. And we don't know any of that. So it's unfortunate that we couldn't keep Peter and Eric, but at least they now have this task force to kind of maybe find us a new direction. Yeah. Well, it's not just changes in eventing. So I guess there's lots of changes going on right now too, uh, in terms of McClay's. So there's a whole bunch and I'm not going to list off <laughs> um, all of <laughs> you, them. We would be here all day. <laughs> <laughs> but the biggest thing um, that I, I'm kind of on the fence about, to be honest, whether I'm kind of in favor or against, um, is that they're making uh, regionals optional. So they're still going to be mandatory for this year, 2022. But starting in 2023, there's going to be optional regionals. Um, and there's also going to be a lot of qualifying criteria changes. So there's not going to be the penalty system when you're changing regions. So you're not going to have to, you know, go by the highest point region. You're going to have to go by whatever your home state is. So if you're riding for Alabama, you get 10 points and you, as opposed to like, if you're region two, you get 33. So they're kind of doing away with that, which I don't know. I, let me continue. <laughs> Um, so then they're also splitting up a few different regions to add three new regions. They're also going to have the top 10 from uh, the USEF talent search and the finals, the USEF equitation finals, be invited to compete in the finals for the McClay. And then also they're kind of doing away with with the doing away of regionals. They're kind of creating more of a, I don't know how to describe it, kind of like a year end, basically, like a point chasing kind of system where they're going to have, you know, the top, however many, you know, go to finals as opposed to the regional. Um, and they talked about kind of like the the downsides to that being that, you know, a portion of their clientele, you know, the people that compete in the McClay see regionals as the end goal. You know, they want to get to regionals and they want to show at regionals. That's kind of like where they're going to stop. 
And so there was kind of a, you know, change in that. And then in terms of the actual McClay, they're changing the competition format, which I think is interesting. So they're starting with like their usual Saturday. Um, All the riders are going to compete in a prelim round. And from the prelimed round, they're going to take 125 that will then be invited to come back on Sunday and have a clean slate and compete in the first round, which is going to be flat with optional testing. I think this is huge because I think that, you know, one, it's easier on the horses and two, I mean, testing on the flat, it's a lot easier to to see if someone's struggling, <laughs> you know, they make you post without stirrups for quite a while and uh, you'll, it'll, it'll show up pretty quick. Um, and then, so this year they're going to do kind of regionals as a free pass to that Sunday. Um, but then after 2022 and 2023, it's going to be a whole different ball game. Um, so it's going to be the whole system's kind of going to be mirroring that USEF medal final type of qualification. Interesting. Some of it sounds like it's making it more complicated and then other other parts sound like they're like good changes. Yeah, I mean, so I when I grew up, I knew a few people and I won't say any names, obviously, that competed in um, like easier regions (laughs) because they had a better chance of getting to finals. So I think that this is, you know, going to be more beneficial for the people who are actually in their region to actually do a good job as opposed to somebody coming in from, you know, like a New York to go compete in Alabama because they need less points. Um, And the region, therefore, is going to be, you know, in quotations, easier. I don't think that's true, but compared to, you know, the amount of entries, yes. So I think that that is really good because that way, at least, it's going to be a more even playing field. And I do really like the the flat round first. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think it's actually pretty interesting without this whole thing. Like, I'm pretty excited to see how it pans out this year, see how it works, and then go into 2023. So it'll be interesting. Stay tuned. Justine, what do you have for news? All right. I've got a good science story. Um, of course. <laughs> I got had to mix it up. So obviously, you know, we watch... Plenty of movies where there are horses in them. And in these fictional depictions, it's always like these really tall, I don't know, tall actors riding a horse. The one that comes to mind most recently is like Keanu Reeves. I don't remember what that movie is, but you saw like the scenes of him like riding the horse, whatever, in the streets of New York City. Or how about like, you know, historical pieces where they're riding horses into war? Uh, Well, a new study that published in the International Journal of Osteoarchaeology says that horses from previous time periods, like the medieval war horses, were actually no larger than a pony. So all of the depictions we see on the big screen what? now are all just a I've... lie. <laughs> wow. There were no giant, big, beautiful, thundering, galloping Frisians that existed in medieval times. They were just little, like, 14-hand were... horses. <laughs> They're bratty little ponies? <laughs> yep. So wow. this study is... so much more respect for medieval people. Well, I think medieval people must have been smaller, too. I don't know. But this study is focused on the horses. It's the largest ever study of horse bones, actually, by five English universities that examined bones of nearly 2,000 horses. Um, These horses dated from the 4th to 17th centuries. 
And they were able to recover these bones from 171 different archaeological sites, which is kind of cool. And some of the sites included castles and medieval horse cemeteries, actually. So, uh, and this is where they, they determined that almost all of the horses, like a vast majority, were 14-2 hands or less, which is actually pretty funny. So, like, one of the largest ones they found was 15 hands. So, I mean, it's pretty spot on with, like, how I want the rest of my life to be. That's a good height. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more interested in this. Like, they had medieval horse cemeteries, like, dedicated just to horses. Yeah, I think that's kind of nice. Yeah, a nice tribute. But, um, But, yeah, so we'll share the link to all these stories so you guys can get caught up in the show notes. Just a shout out to everybody who's contributed to Patreon and to contributed to this podcast. We really appreciate everybody who contributes every month or every once in a while. You guys help us continue to do this podcast and have fun with you guys. So thanks so much. And if you're interested in donating, go to patreon.com slash heels down. And that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. So Ellie, I hear you have this whole post and stuff about this vacuum, this horse vacuum. I have one and we sort of use it. And I think it's the same one you use. Uh, but tell me, I want to know about it because then I also heard you might have some other ones that seems pretty cool as well. I want to know your pros and cons on all of them. Yeah. So I just have the electric room, which is the big stand up one. Is that the one that you have? Yes. I just have the big one, the big green one with the hose, with the wheels oh, that yeah. you drag everywhere. Yep. Yeah, like how big, big is it? It's big. big. It's ninety pounds. Like it's, it's wow. Big. Okay, wow. It drags wow. around. It's kind of hard to drag around. Yeah, I will say that that is my my downside to it is it's kind of a big thing. Like I definitely like if I went to an away show, this thing would not be coming. You know, but also oh, my no. horses wouldn't be dirty, right? Because they're in stalls versus like out in pastures. But anyway, so that's what I have. I have the electric groom, which is oh, it's like. Uh, mid like 950 to a thousand dollars depending on where you go um to find it and like it was what made you what made you splurge to buy this i guess like what made you go i want to invest in the vacuum okay so for me it was you know i've got six horses i've got you know like three jobs and i wanted to make sure that each of my horses was getting equal and adequate amount of grooming and for me, it was like grooming for an hour when I'm only going to ride for 10 minutes because I have to go back to work. So for me, it was just like a kind of a necessity in order to be able to keep my horses in work and also keep the the horse care uh, at the level I wanted it to be at um, for everybody. So that was kind of why. And I'd also been wanting one for like six years. <laughs> okay. Um, so we had one when I was growing up at the show barn and I thought it was the coolest thing. And so Berkeley had actually gotten it done to him as a done to him. That's a weird way to say it, but he'd been <laughs> vacuumed um, as like a four year old. And I remember like getting him used to it and stuff and it just being very convenient because, you know, even if you just do part of the way, it just cuts your grooming time in half. And when your horses are, you know, really muddy and dry, I mean, it just helps so much to get it done quicker. But so actually a little uh, kind of reveal. I actually am the one that broke it at the show barn. Um, <laughs> Oops. Um, well, I, I think I was. I'm not really sure, but my guess would be that I am. And it's because I used it to actually vacuum the floors of the hayloft 
I don't think that was a good thing to do. Uh, so sorry in advance. Uh, hopefully the barn owner never listens to this. <laughs> but so the reason I like it as opposed to like a lot of people that I know have used like shop backs and stuff, which I mean, kudos to you if you can use a shop back on your horse, especially the older horses that I have, um, you know, like the 28 year old Spookaloosa that boards here. Like I would not be able to get near him with a shop back. Like he'd be like, what in God's name is that? Cause that makes clippers look like nothing. Right. Um, so it's I just- like this. So this yeah. is just quieter? Like the vacuum is, okay, wow. Okay, Way so quieter, I've li- yeah. I've literally talked to you on the phone while vacuuming my horses before, Justine. You know. Oh my gosh, wow. Okay, because I'm imagining a shop vac, okay? That's, I'm just No, like, it's really quiet. Like, okay. and compared to like clippers, so like, like compared to like my wall clippers, like I can hear music, I can talk to people, like it's way quiet. Okay, um, Wow. And the thing I like about the big one that I have is that it's got this humongous big box that catches all the loose dust and then all the hair goes into like this big bag. So when you clean it out, especially when they're shedding, like it's it's gnarly um, <laughs> and like dust kind of flies in your face, but you'd be surprised how much it catches. And so that's kind of why I got the big one as opposed to I've seen some other ones like I know Schneider's has one called like the Vac and Blow Pro, which um, I just think is kudos for a cool name. Um, but it's more of like a handheld one. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's significantly less, like, I think it's like 300 or $400 less. Um, and it comes with similar attachments. Although to be honest, I don't use any attachment other than the metal one that comes directly on the machine. The little graded one. Yeah. They comes with like, no, there were other ones. I thought it was just that one. I think we probably threw all the rest of them away. Yeah. I've tried to use them and I just don't think anything is as effective as, uh, the one, but I have been looking into this other like attachment that I've heard throughout the show circuit this year was with the curry vac, which is a, it's like a attachment that it literally spins. It's a curry comb that spins and it's like an attachment for your vacuum. Oh, so you attach it to the vacuum. Yes. Oh, to any and vacuum, to any vacuum, um, oh. which again, not sure how my horses would do with like a like a stand-up, but you can literally use this on a stand-up one because it basically turns any vacuum into a horse vacuum. Oh. But it's like, I think the idea of a spinning curry comb is really exciting. That's so I'm kinda like, cool. maybe I'll try that uh, for my electric groom as a addition, but. And you feel like the electric groom, like for the price, it's super durable. Like you'll have this thing for years or does it require a lot of like maintenance to keep it vacuuming oh, yeah. all your horses? Okay, so I... <sighs> I probably empty it once a month. Um, like it'll start like not sucking as well. And that's when I know, okay, you know, shedding season, I might empty it once every two weeks or something. And I mean, it's still going strong. I've had horses step on it. Um, <laughs> um, I think the only thing I wouldn't definitely wouldn't want them to step on the hose or anything. Um, that might be a little more of a I'm problem. I'm pretty sure ours have stepped on the hose <laughs> and it's still around. Yeah, because I'm pretty I, sure I got it like tangled up on a couple of them. Not to be. Yeah, and it's so quiet you can get them tangled up. It's and so, it <laughs> no, I mean it doesn't matter. I just like drop it and it like flaps, and then I'm like, oh, sorry, and then go grab it. But then, no, it is really durable. It's honestly like when we were in Aiken, it was in the barn, and it's a bunch of sand. So like to really use it, like it was just honestly more time consuming. Which is funny that you say it's less time consuming because in Aiken we could like just curry them real quick 
and they're all clipped and everything as well. So like you carry them real quick with the sand and brush it off. The vacuum like took honestly more time than that. So it's funny that the reason you use it is it's time consuming. The reason we don't, or that it's time saving. And the reason we don't use it is it's time consuming. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it depends on where you're at, you know, uh, geographically yeah. in the season, especially. And, exactly. But I mean, like, who knows? I might need to pull it back out of the storage because uh, we might need it with this like mud once the snow <laughs> melts. There you go. Yeah. Well, and it's got this really cool feature that, to be honest, I have not used. It can be turned into a blow dryer. So you just uh-huh. like, yeah. What do you mean? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it can be. So there's there's two two switches yeah. right on the side. Yeah. If you switch something on the inside, then it can become like you take your hose off and you put it on that outside like underneath, there's another tube that comes out. And that's usually where your air pressure is coming out of when you're vacuuming. But if you put your hose on there and just turn on the vacuum like normal, it turns into a blow dryer. No way. It's so funny I, that you say that because I was just I went to the National Stock Show while I was in Colorado. And, you know, it's an all animal show. Like, obviously, a big part of it is a horse show. And they have USCF classes going on. But we we're walking through the barns with all the other animals, like all the cattle, and they had blow dryers for the cows. Like, so some people were vacuuming the cows clean, and then other people were blow drying out their fluffy, beautiful, clean hair. Yeah. So <laughs> I think the electric room actually was made for cows. Um, oh. Initially, oh. like if you if you look in the rule or the rule book, <laughs> I'm too caught up in McClay changes. Um, the um, the instruction manual it says, you know, like it has references to cows. So I think that's kind of what it was made for, but I mean, livestock grooming is livestock grooming, but it definitely has helped me, especially now that it's cold. If they get sweaty, I can blow dry them, which is another, yeah, you know, that saves me a lot of time as opposed to sitting in a, you know, Irish knit for two hours. Nice. I did not know any of that. Interesting. So I guess if you were if you were somebody who wanted to like try this out, would you say it's best to go ahead and just make the investment in the brand you got, Ellie, or would you start with a smaller one? What do you think? So if I were to do it again, right, like I knew what I wanted because I had already like had experience with it um, because of I grew up with it. But I think it's the same company that makes what's the rapid groom. Um, and it's half the price and it's like one you can wear as a backpack and it's got the similar like metal attachment. And I think it's made actually by the same company. I think I would go with that, especially if you're not a facility of your own, because the other one does take up so much space, you know, and just look into it there. There are, I've seen some that are like, you know, shoulder backpack type, you know, satchel things that are vacuums, you know, so it's kind of just looking for something that's going to be quiet but that is going to get the job done too. Cause you don't want to have to go over it multiple times and it doesn't really make sense to get one in the first place. Gotcha. Okay. Well, and you posted a video in the Facebook group. So if people want to see yours in action, you can find it there. Yes. Yep. Whether it's been hours of barn chores or a long week at the horse show, candles for burned-out equestrians have a comfort for everyone. These hand-poured candles are all-natural, renewable, soy-based, so you can feel good about lighting one in your home. Please be careful, though. You deserve to relax and wind and breathe in the sweet smell of not horses for once. Please shop at shop.heelsdownmag.com and enjoy some fun candles.
All right, everybody. Our guest today is someone who I have followed on Instagram for actually quite a while now. I'm really excited to introduce Maddie Hauser, who's an adult amateur dressage rider, and she competes and lives in Central Texas. She began her equestrian adventures at a young age and is a USDF bronze medalist and silver medalist. Uh, Maddie is known as the Blonde in the Bay on Instagram, where she's documented her journey alongside her mare, Lee, maybe Leah, um, for nearly seven years. And now she's uh, riding and writing about her endeavors with her husband, who is also a rider, and her new Western Pleasure Project, who she's taking through the levels of dressage. So welcome, Maddie. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm so excited to talk to you. So I've been dying to ask you this question. I, you know, I've been following all your <laughs> updates on Rider on your quarter horse gelding. Um, mm-hmm. You've had such a really interesting journey in the dressage world from FEI experience with your wonderful mare to now bringing on, you know, your, your Western <laughs> pleasure reject uh, quarter <laughs> horse uh, rider who's adorable. And I just want to, I, I just want to know why, like what led you to kind of take this route after going so far with your mare? Like what made you want to try this with rider? The million dollar question, right? <laughs> so, you know, I've always loved quarter horses. I grew up riding them and I think they're one of the handiest, kindest breeds that are out there. And when I retired Leah in 2019, it was such an emotional decision for me because I didn't know where my riding career was going to go. We had just moved to our place down in South Texas. She was getting used to living the ranch life. And I knew I wasn't ready right away. Um, She's still is such a big part of my life and a big part of my heart. But at that point I was like, there's no way that I'm ready to move forward. So I'm going to just enjoy this new chapter together and see kind of where it goes. And so last year, actually in January, I kind of hit the wall where I was so ready to get back into riding and, or I should say I was ready to get back into riding more full time. Because when we had the horses at home, it was very leisurely and no pressure, which was great for my mental health and for Leah. And it's exactly what we needed in that stage of our, in our life. But I wanted to get back and do that dressage training schedule once again. And so I remember in January, I kind of had to sit down with my mom and my husband. And I basically said, look, I need to start riding again. (laughs) Or else, you know, this is not going to be good. And and when you leave that schedule that you've known for so long and you kind of quit like cold turkey, it's basically culture shock because I'm such a goal-oriented person. And I was used to like having these goals, having these ambitions with Leah, training, uh, showing, doing all of that every day and going to the barn and being part of my barn family on a daily basis. And so when it stopped, it was, very hard for me to kind of process. And it was stuff that I didn't really feel comfortable about, you know, sharing about on Instagram because it is such a personal journey. And I didn't want people to think, oh, wow, like, you know, she's, that must be really hard for you that you don't get to ride every day, but you don't realize how difficult it is. As you all know, as horsewomen, like that is something that keeps us going. And especially that it had come to an end with Leah, that was really difficult for me. So in this conversation with my mom and husband, I said, look, I want to do this, but here's the issue, I guess you could say. 
let's look at the rising costs of the horse market and the fact that at the time we were living at home without my trainer's guidance. So I needed something that number one, I could afford. And number two, that I felt comfortable enough to handle because I do struggle with confidence in the saddle. And that was something that Leah kind of brought back after a bad experience with my young rider's horse. And so being around my husband's roping horses and seeing how athletic they were and how diverse they are, I knew in my heart that a quarter horse would fit this build because they're known for being safe and they're known for being trainable and manageable. And of course, I drew inspiration from from my friends on Instagram. And uh, I knew that this was something that I really wanted to try. And I knew it wouldn't be easy. I knew people would, you know, think, what the heck is she doing? But at that point, I'd taken a step back from the Blonde in the Bay, and I, I needed that time to do this on my own. And so we made the decision that I would choose a quarter horse. <laughs> and I remember going to my trainer and her husband telling them that this is what I wanted to do. And my trainer's husband was like, Maddie, come on. Are you serious? Like, no way. And I'm like, yes, this is really what I want to do. And And so... We started looking and I filtered through hundreds of, of sales ads. It all would lead to dead ends because it's very hard to find a dressage prospect quarter horse. I had to look more in the forums of like hunter under saddle, that kind of, that kind of discipline to find the good foundation. And so last March, my trainer called me and she was headed to Florida to visit her husband who goes to uh, Ocala to do the winter series. And we just started talking like we normally do rambling on. And she said, Hey, wait a second. My husband is staying at the, uh, at a quarter horse farm in Ocala. And I was like, really? No way. And she had known that I've been looking for quite some time. And, and so I said, you know, Ava, if something is there, Hey, call me, let me know. And so of course, till as old as time, she calls me the next morning. And is like, look, there's a horse. I woke up and he's right outside my my uh, my window, my bedroom window. I'm gonna go ask about him. He's really pretty. And I said, okay, fine, whatever. So she calls me that afternoon, tells me kind of the background on him that he was a Western Pleasure reject. He wasn't going to make a good Western Pleasure horse or a good hunter under saddle horse. And his owner owned like 32 other personal horses, and he was on the back burner. And so she sent me a picture and of course I saw his little pink nose and I'm such a softy. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need to know more about this horse. And so later that afternoon I get some sales videos. And then the next morning I asked my trainer's husband to try him. And I had three days, my job to make this decision because he was leaving on March 30th to come back to Texas. And this was like March 28th. And so I remember talking to him after he tried him and uh, he was like, well, I mean, he's safe, but I, I wasn't going to push him and see if he could, you know, learn to accept the hand to leg pressure, but you know, worth the risk. So literally that's what I did. I said, well, I've looked and looked and looked, haven't found anything. This is somebody that I trust that was able to try him. And I said, what the hell basically. <laughs> and uh, we vetted him the next day. And he quote unquote passed. And then he was on the truck to Texas that Monday morning and we picked him up on Tuesday. And I guess the rest is history in the making, as I like to say. Aw. 
<laughs> so you mentioned your husband and his roping horses and everything else. What is it like to share the passion with him and support his goals and the riding that you guys, how do you find that balance as well? Oh gosh, it's really, really neat. Just being flat out honest, you know, it's like being able to be with someone who understands the time commitment and not only the time commitment, but the financial commitment and want that same life as you is really, really special. And I've written about it on my blog. You know, I came from a few relationships that kind of gave me the ultimatum of, well, it's either me and the horse and Obviously, y'all know how that one turned out. Um, And so it's really special to share that bond. And it's never a drag. If either of us want to go to the barn or a horse show or team roping, we're always there for each other, trying to support each other. And that's not to say, I mean, we do bicker. (laughs) Like any relationship where we always kind of think that we're right and the other person is wrong. But it's all, you know, it's all in good fun. I couldn't have made the transition with Leah to retirement without Barrett because he really helped me kind of take a calming approach and more of a horsemanship approach to it where I was all stressed and like, Oh my gosh, she's freaking out about the cows. And what do I do? And what do I do? And he's like, honey, just relax. Like she'll get used to it. Let's do this and that. And so I really couldn't, couldn't have done it without him. Um, but having his support and knowing that I never have to stress about, oh my gosh, is he going to be mad that I bought a saddle pad or is he going to be upset that I was late at the barn or, you know, things that come along with that kind of stereotypical relationship is really comforting. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool, you know, it's, and I like the balance between dressage and team roping because we're so serious in our competition world, but going to team roping, like you can let your hair down, you can drink a michelada, have a beer, everyone's laughing, everyone's loud. Um, and so it's a good, it's a good contrast between the two worlds. So you've been very open and honest about your need to take a mental health break from Instagram uh, and your large following, which is really refreshing, especially as someone with their own mental health issues to see. Can you tell us more about how you manage your personal time uh, versus what you choose to share online? I think this came to me at the end of 2020, where I was going through such a change in my own personal riding career. And my horses are such a large part of who I am as a person. And so, as I've mentioned, making that change was something I really struggled with personally, because I suddenly felt like I didn't have a a purpose or a goal. And I was watching my heart horse, who I love so very much, completely transform into retired life. And that was really hard for me because I am such a structured person. That and with COVID and I was, we were getting married in 2020 and we had already had to change everything about our wedding. It was, it added up. And I remember one of our older horses, Colic, we were loading him up into the trailer and it just clicked with me where I was like, I've had enough. I've put six years into posting and sharing and photographing and writing on the blonde in the bay. And it was difficult because you put all this effort into it. And while I have a fantastic community that I love so much, 
I'm such a sensitive person that there's always that one bad apple that makes a snide comment that would ruin it for me. And I know that's not a good place to be mentally. And I knew that, but I just kept sweeping it under the rug, sweeping it under, under the rug to where finally I couldn't sweep anymore. And I knew in that time that I needed to take a break. And so I went dark. I was gone. I left September of 2020 and I didn't, hardly resurface until March, 2021. And mind you, I had lost, I mean, over a thousand followers at that point. But when I came back and I set my page on private, it felt invigorating to me because I learned that I wasn't posting for myself in the beginning stages. I got caught up and how many likes, how many comments, how many followers was I, you know, getting on a daily basis, the beautiful pictures. I wanted pristine photos every single day. And not that there's anything wrong with that. By no means there is. I, I like pretty pictures as much as the next person, but I lost right. myself to that. And it wasn't enjoyable anymore. That coupled with just, you know, the COVID and, and the negativity that I was seeing, I knew I needed to take a step back. And so, like I said, when I put, set my page on private and I still lose followers because I am a private account, but I realized that I have so many great core followers on there that stayed with me through that hiatus. And to me, that really kind of struck a chord and that, wow, there's actually people that care what I'm doing and what my horses are doing. They're not just here to follow me. They've really been my friends. And a lot of these people have been with me for seven years. Wow. You know, that's a long time. Yeah, I know. Since I started in 2015. I mean, some of my closest friends are from Instagram. I mean, gosh, they were at my wedding reception this year. And so to have that connection that I didn't know that I had before completely shifted my perspective with Instagram. And so now I don't post as often as I do because I still need to keep my distance a little bit, but I feel a lot safer and a lot more comfortable to be like, well, this is what happened today. Like Ryder went around like a giraffe, but you know what? It happens when you're retraining a Western pleasure prospect that's not supposed to do your size. Um, <laughs> and you just kind of learn to accept that. And no, like, you know, at the beginning, I'm like, I want to be the biggest account and grow, grow, grow. And now I've come to the realization that if I stay at 23,000 forever, I don't care. I have 23,000 and I'm sure a lot of those are bots or whatever Instagram has, but I have those core people that genuinely want to be there and where I can feel vulnerable and safe. Does that make sense? I guess. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds way yeah. healthier, you know, and that's, it is. It is because you have that tendency, social media sucks you in. And if you're not careful, you know, it can really suck you in. And I was at that point where I felt obligated to tell all these people about my every single move and what I was doing. And if I didn't, I was like, they're going to get disappointed. They're going to unfollow me. I'm going to lose what I worked so hard for. And now I guess my mentality is like, look, if you're here for the right reasons, great, you stay. But if not, there's the unfollow button. And it feels really good to kind of say that it sounds harsh, but you have to think of it like that or else you're just going to continue to like please others until you spread yourself so thin that you question, why am I even posting about this? Because like, is it, is it making me happy or is it, or am I posting it to make others happy? 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really admirable. Maddie, it's been such a pleasure to have you on. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. No slipping, no sliding, no problem. EcoGold's secure pads are engineered to keep the horse's back comfortable while keeping the saddle in place for safe, competitive riding. They have the impact protection through the seat and the ultra-thin flaps provide the rider with the better communication and a more stable riding position. And they're available in both English and Western styles. Shop the entire collection at ecogold.ca. All right, guys, I have a question for both of you. So it's it's a little personal, but it's a riding training issue. And so I figured, what the heck, I'll share my failures with the world so we can, <laughs> one, hopefully dissect it and share some training education, I guess. So anyways, you both know I went and I attempted my first ever training level event in December. And for the most part, it went well. It was a schooling show. Dressage went great. He was fabulous over cross country, but Mikey was felt very overfaced in the show jumping arena, which surprised me because it's probably, I wouldn't say what we school the most. We school on the flat the most at home, but you know, obviously we school over fences in an arena fairly frequently, but we got to the horse show and he just, he warmed up great. And we got into the ring and he was just like, I don't know, man, I can't do this. And he's not a very neat jumper. He's like, the type who is a little a little lazy with his front end where he'll drag his you know his front legs over a fence so i I'm, i want to ask both of you for advice because i obviously now this gives me something to work on right before i attempt this again what should i be doing one to help give my horse more confidence and two to maybe Im- like improve I don't think there's too much I can do to improve his natural ability, right? But improve his style to make him a little bit sharper over like a more technical course. Jess, do you want to start? Yeah, I can start. So a couple things like, so because he does want to drape and stuff, I think he'd actually get a little bit sharper if you just did like a low wide oxer. So like not very tall, but like go wider, like wider than what you want. And if it gets too wide that like, you're like, he's going to bounce it put a rail almost diagonal over it. And like, obviously don't go too, too wide, but right, you know what I mean? But, but like yeah. sometimes, and it doesn't, I'm not talking wide, like tall at all, like 18 inches, two feet, you know, like start there and then kind of do it. So it just makes him kind of look and peek and it will start to bring his shoulders up and stuff. So you can do like a low wide oxer with just a diagonal rail. So he doesn't think he's supposed to go in it. It's like, just make it wider than what is normal. And you start small and, you know, work up to being wider and wider. And a lot of times I'll put the diagonal rail, even when it's super narrow. So they see it and they peek and it just kind of makes them reach across. And like when it's not, you know, we always say the term, like Doug and I like to say that we make it either mentally hard or physically hard, but not both because then Mm -hmm. you do that, like it makes a lot. So you want to make like, you know, if it's gymnastics or whatever, it can't be mentally and physically hard for them because then that's where they lose confidence. So if it's 18 inches, two feet off the ground and you start going wider, that's more mentally hard, you know? And so then he's like, oh God, I got to think about reaching across because it's not hard for him to jump that height and then that width. It's like basically jumping a ditch essentially, but it's raised a little bit. So you think you're just going to reach it across and then kind of go up a little bit and wide. That's going to help him kind of bring his shoulder up. 
So besides the low wide oxer, you could kind of do things and utilize being an Ocala, you know, going to something and doing more. I know you do a lot of like the hunter courses and stuff, but go in and like maybe do a bigger, spookier jumper course, you know, like, so break it apart where you go in a lot of places will have like a meter, meter Oh five, you know, so that's kind of going to be the top end of it and just kind of put them in there because I bet you put him in a couple of those rounds every, you know, couple days and like, not just go for one day, go for two or three days right, and kind right. of pick it as more of, yeah, it's going to be a schooling thing. But if you go to some of the bigger shows like WEC or hits or, you know, Venice has some stuff too, but it's the spookier rings, that's going to be it because you can put him in, maybe put him in the nineties if he feels green that week and then go to the meters and then do a meter Oh five if they have it. And a lot of times they'll have like a meter Oh five, like thoroughbred thing. So -hmm. then it gets them that little bit higher and that with those spooky rings and look at the schedule. What I like to do, especially with people is look at a schedule and see if they'll do those classes in different arenas. So a lot of times you can like go, we were just talking about like we were down in Wellington and stuff. You could go to ring seven and ring 10 and, you know, ring nine, all in different things, but it was the same height, but in three different arenas. So you felt like you're at three different times you got in the ring to different things and it kind of made it spookier in those. So look at them because hits or weck or whatever might have that schedule where it's in different arenas within the same week. So you're paying one office fee, one, all the fees are the same, but then instead of doing two classes, look that next day and say, Hey, is there a child adult that I can do in another ring and get in and you get that experience in a different ring really helps out too. I do notice that going from the hunter jumper shows to eventing the no ground line kills me at the eventing shows. They're just, they feel so much more upright, you know? And I think that's probably more me mentally than him, but I've been trying well, the to hunters, the hunters love to build it out. Right. But if you right. go to the jumper rings, you're going to feel that same sort of thing. So okay. All maybe right. when you go to the hunter jumper shows, maybe explore outside the hunters and like go maybe to the jumper side a bit more to different rings. Cause you'll find those. Yes, there are definitely some, you know, area stuff at some of the schooling shows. But a lot of times you'll see that at the hunter, like the jumper rings as well. Right, right. Got it. Okay. Ellie, any thoughts? Yeah. So my only worry with going straight to the jumpers would be that you might, if he's already feeling over face, like what I would do at home, in addition to the wide oxer, would be gymnastics, gymnastics, gymnastics. And, you know, high, low, you know, catch rails on the other side, because that is going to build his confidence in kind of, you know, making him feel like I can do this. and I know I can pick my feet up. And like uh, Jess said, it's going to continue to help pick his shoulders up, you know, and you can even incorporate a a low wide oxer into a gymnastic. But the more you can get him to do the gymnastics, the better and sharper he'll be. Okay. I have been, I have been schooling a lot with the catch rails on the front and back end since we got home from that horse show. But I like the idea of the low light oxer and putting together some gymnastics too, and then look in for some rounds in the jumper ring going forward. Thank you guys. Yeah, no problem. No problem. All right. And with that, it's Rose and Thorne. Who wants to go first? I can, I can go, go first because it really you... sucks. Okay, go. Oh. All right, go. 
I know. Justine knows because I've, I've, I've had a week to kind of process. So unfortunately, I took Batman up for his stifle surgery and they found a lot more than just the OCD lesions. So he actually ended up having a grade two out of a grade three. So not great for a meniscal tear on his left hind. Stifle? Uh, with some pretty severe cartilage damage. So it looks like Batman will no longer ever be ridden, which kind of sucks. I know. Um, I'm so sorry, Ellie. Yeah, it it sucks, you know, but it's not terrible. That's not the worst part. I think the worst part is that we're trying to get him. So he's going up for stem cells in three weeks, which God knows if insurance is going to cover that because anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Um, But he's going up for his stem cells, and then they're hoping that with stem cells and stall rest for a year that he might get to the point where I can put him out in a pasture again. But it looks like he's going to be kind of restricted to, like, more paddock-sized and, you know, level ground, which really sucks because, one, I live on a mountain, and two, like, I just feel like that's going to suck for him. You know, it's hard to explain to a horse like, Hey, I want to put you outside, but don't run around like an idiot and tear your meniscus again. So that kind of sucks. But my rose is that he survived surgery (laughs) Um, because when the vet first called me, she kind of had this like, very like, I'm so sorry kind of thing. And she said to me, you know, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she said to me, she was like, well, if he were a performance only horse, like, cause I told her going in, I was like, if he's a pasture pet, that's fine. Like I, I just want him to be able to walk in three years. And that was like my whole reason for doing the surgery was while he was young enough, he turns 15 soon to do the surgery. So it would actually make a difference. So it's definitely not what I hoped, but since she called me and said, you know, if he were a performance horse, we'd be having a euthanasia conversation. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, calm down. So it's good for quality of life, which is good. So he's got a year of stall rest, which he's a cribber. So he's not enjoying his stall rest time. But I'm kind of alternating who stays in the barn with him. You said <laughs> so, a year? A year of stall rest? A year. That is a long oh, wow. time. Yeah. So we're going to reevaluate after his three-week checkup where he goes up for his stem cells. Then I can start walking him twice a day for five minutes. Each. Wow. Uh, And then I then after that, if it looks good, I work him up an extra five minutes every week till eventually I'm walking him, which this is going to be great. I'm going to have a diet. So I'm going to be great because I'm going to be walking a whole lot (laughs) because eventually approximately like eight weeks after surgery, we'll be walking 40 minutes twice a day, which means we're going to we're going to both. You're going to be booking it. You're going to be booking it. So it definitely sucks. I'm hoping I can get him to where he can go out in the pasture and you know, be a happy horse, but it's kind of sad to see my really crazy, awesome. Like he was just a very fun horse to ride. So it's kind of sad to like never be able to do that again, but I'm just grateful that I still have him around. So. Oh, he's just so lucky to be in your barn, Ellie, You're <laughs> taking good care of him. Yeah. But I'll probably be complaining about it when I have to find a place to level a, a pasture for him. <laughs> right. <laughs> Matt, get up. We're going to need a backhoe. <laughs> this is the Batman Aww. pasture. So, But <laughs> hopefully, right. yeah, we'll we'll keep posted about it. So what about you, Jess? What do you got going on? So my rose would have to be that, yes, we had a great time down in Wellington and seeing family and everything. But it's been a crazy couple 
you know, months and stuff like that. And now we're, yes, getting in the swing of show season and stuff, but we're actually home for like a couple weeks to, you know, kind of figure out our life of being in North Carolina and what our show season is going to look like going forward. So we did a couple weeks in Wellington and we're kind of here and there. We're going to Aiken and Ocala and stuff like that, but super excited to kind of figure out what it's like to live in North Carolina because we absolutely <laughs> love it up here. And so we do love it up here. I, I love the area and I love everything Even the else. Snow? Well, that's part of my thorn. So we'll go <laughs> ahead and jump into that because as much as I'm loving this life up here, I have to tell you today was like a challenge for us because we didn't know what to do. I mean, like we're like newbies. So like Doug's trying to fix the arena. I'm trying to like deal with the mud and I just put my kids in snow clothes and was like, here you go. Have fun. So they loved it, <laughs> but our horses are like trying to figure it out. So we're going to hack those and like tomorrow morning, we're going to ride in the top field because that looks to be the best right now. So we're just trying to figure it out, like maintaining it here for the winter, but we will go south in a couple weeks again, but it's, yeah, I guess that's my thorn is figuring it out. But the end of the day, my rose takes over because we have our farm and we're here and we're so lucky and so thankful. So at the end of the day, I think I'll take the bad days of figuring out farm life to actually be here finally after so many years of this trying to be built. So yes, that's my <laughs> we'll figure out the all snow. Yeah, we'll figure it out. <laughs> it's just, you're talking to like, I mean, Doug grew up in the snow, but you're talking to two people. I'm like snow. I mean, I don't know. I'm like, that's your department. I'm just going to have a cup of You'll coffee. You'll have to Here get one of those like big arena tarps where they like roll them like they have on football fields. Oh, so you don't get the snow on your. That's not a bad idea. Oh, you know, us snow people, we figure these things out because then you're all purpose footing. Your footing's not going to freeze, but then you can just pull that and you pull all the snow off. <sighs> I'm going to have to tell Doug about that because it's never even thought that was something to do. See, this is what we're just experiencing. It. It's just little bumps, not, not problem, but just figuring it out. You That's can get really one of those. Enough. Yeah. Like one of those like fancy pool retractable yeah, covers. Just a tarp. Yeah. No, but you get like an automated one. You hit a button in it and it retracts oh. like the pool <laughs> over your. Well, that That's going to be way fancy. <laughs> All the snow <laughs> might come cool. off at the base. You'll have a big mountain. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to have to like do a trench so like it goes somewhere. So. Yeah. But then like Hudson can have a little like sled, you know, we can you have go a play area. The, yeah. See, in the Justine's just figuring it out for everybody. <laughs> What's your rose and thorn? All right. So I'll start with my rose. You know, it's the season is here for Florida. Everyone's coming down. And next week, Sally, the you know, one of our former podcast hosts is going to come stay with me. And I'm so excited to see her. So Jess, I'm sure we'll send you Super lots of fun. selfie photos. I can't wait to see Sally. So that's my rose is catching up with her. And then let's see my thorn is man. So I just came back from vacation. It's like the first I had like, I didn't, I didn't take a lot of vacation around the holidays. I worked through most of the holidays and then I took a week off to go spend some time with family in the mountains in Colorado last week. But now I'm feeling like the effects of returning to work, you know, where I just, it's going to be like the most marathon week of my life with just work. So say a prayer for me that I get through this week of work. That is, that is my thorn. I'm just looking at the mountain of work I have to do. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to, I'm going to make it guys. 
<laughs> I feel you. I feel you. That probably should have been Mother Thorn. But. It's like, oh, oh, new year. It's so much to do. Um, I know. Ugh, but we'll make it. Okay. So mailbag. We got this from Corey in our Facebook group. Corey is looking for inspiration to keep their winter work interesting because they're probably in a place like Ellie where they have a very serious winter. So Corey wants to know, where do you find new riding exercises from Cavaletti and gymnastic to flat work routines? They're on the lookout. They want to know where should they be finding? Who's a good person to follow? What's a good outlet that you guys like to read to find good riding exercises? Well, I do love me some Instagram and like following people like that, but I have also found this ride IQ that is fun. And you get this different like riding exercises, everyone, not everybody, but I do a lot on the Peloton where you kind of like follow along and follow like a, you know, like I'll join Alex or whoever on Peloton and like go for a ride. And then ride IQ is very similar like that. So you can kind of put in your earbuds and get kind of inspiration and stuff like that. And they'll ride you through exercises or, you know, how to like do different, you know, training exercises, jumping all of the above, how to get ready for different things. And I found that really helpful. And like, if I'm kind of just feeling like in a slump and I really just want to go on a trail ride and I know that I probably shouldn't do that on my horse that day, I'll put in my earbuds and just like pick somebody to like make me like do something that day, you know, whether it's an exercise or whatever else. And it's an app and I can follow along. And then I actually, you know, on the days where I just like, don't feel like doing anything, it makes me kind of feel more productive for me than like, if I was going to go for a run, I'd, probably make it a quarter mile. I wouldn't even make that far. Let's get honest. So, but like when I, <laughs> when I get on the Peloton, I, it makes me do it. Like it makes me go for the full ride and I don't stop. And I've found that kind of, there's different things in that. I know there's a couple different courses or whatever, but that's kind of been my kind of get out of funk exercise is like, do something like that. Put in, I put on my wired earphones and put in my phone in my pocket and just go for the ride. And it's actually kind of fun. Yeah, I I like Ride IQ a lot. I didn't think it would be something I'd be into, but it's so easy to use. So I definitely recommend it too. And there's such a variety of trainers and professionals that you have access to in that app. So if you're, and they give you like a couple, a couple weeks free if you want to try it. So I feel like there's no harm in seeing if it's for you, but I'm also going to plug Doug's book, Jess. Doug has yeah. great exercises in there. He does have good book exercises. I always forget about that one. Oops, yeah. Doug's got him. <laughs> I always forget about my husband's book. <laughs> I always forget about my husband, man. That's the right. He's the one course. that got me, but I didn't forget about him because he's the one that got me into the ride IQ. Because he's like, you love the Peloton, and he does a couple of the instruction things on the ride IQ, and I couldn't. He does do. He does, and so he's the one that actually got me into that. So I. I do have to credit him for that one. Not his book so much, but the other one for sure. <laughs> his book's pretty good. So his book his is book the book is very good, but <laughs> I forget that. It's the title is the Riding Horse Repair Manual. If you Google that with his name, you'll find it. Yeah. Ellie, and do you I have think, any suggestions? Well, I think in addition, you know, I think Practical Horseman always has some really good, like just little exercises. And if you follow, you know, like different horse magazines on Facebook and like different horse events. Sometimes they'll have like little courses and stridings that you can kind of set up to kind of like get your brain thinking. And I think my all time favorite, you guys ever done the circle of death 
That one. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That one's always a classic fun exercise to set up. Uh, if you're looking for something to do, if I've never met someone who can do that actually like three days in a row and not nail a distance at a, at a, uh, course like on a show so it does work it does work it's a pain in the rear end and it's awful but it works and if you want to hear more from us please subscribe to the heels down spark our daily email newsletter you can do that by going to bit.ly slash spark by hd we want to say thank you to all of our partners this week eco gold candles for burned out equestrians and green flower botanicals All right, guys, that's a wrap. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.